Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Purple Insider Vegas Edition. Matthew Collar here inside of a cabana at Stadium Swim. And the thing is that I would, I'm trying to get all the uh, levels and adjustments uh, set up here since we're uh, a little bit of an on-the-road operation. So give me just a minute to make sure I got everything set up. Brian Murphy is supposed to be joining soon enough as well. Now I would show you Stadium Swim, which is just out here. The problem is, and I could turn the camera a little bit, the sun. The sun is the problem. But you'll have to trust me that there's a very cool couch. I've got a setup here. I've got the TV and everything else. And just beyond me, you're just going to have to believe me, I'm not making this up. I can show you the sun is very bright. See that? Oh, my gosh. It's insanely bright. Uh, but just beyond me is all sorts of heated pools, a gigantic. Uh, whoop, let me adjust it here for the sun. Uh, I, a gigantic TV screen with nothing but sports on it and all sorts of stuff. So it's a very cool experience. It's just that I was trying to do it right over here where there's a table, but it was insanely bright. And I looked like I was just a prince of darkness. And since I'm not, I'm here to talk Vikings and uh, Ra uh, Raiders. And yeah, uh, Todd, you are exactly right that the sun is like a deadly laser. And so also we're going to have to see because there's music playing in the background here. If uh, I can hear Brian Murphy, okay. I'm going to bring in Murph. Murph is back home, but he is uh, packing to come out here and join me at Circa for the next couple days. Uh, Murph, can I hear you? You tell me, and why are you in a hotel room in Las Vegas when the sun is shining outside? I am not in a hotel room. That is the key here. I would show everyone, but the sun is so bright that you can't see it. It just washes out the camera. I am in a cabana, which is amazing at Circa oh. here. Yeah, right. At Stadium Swim. So there's the heated pools, but you don't need it to be heated today because the weather is great. There's the giant television. There's like a drink bar right next to me. I got a couch to my left. I got ESPN up here. So like there's a lot going on around me. It's just that none of you would be able to see it if I tried to show it on the camera. So how you we are doing? in the desert. <laughs> uh, yes, I am in the desert. That's the point. And I I didn't factor for that. But uh so uh, what's going on? I mean, you're going to be making it out here. Uh, yeah. I don't think uh, Bob asked me if I'm going to be able to make it to the sphere. I don't think so. I initially thought, Murph, that I was going to be able to go to the basketball game, to the in-season tournament. And then it turns out that 
uh, LeBron is going to be here. So there are going to be insane prices for the tickets and everything else. So I'm just going to struggle to have to find something else to do in Las Vegas. Yeah, for somebody that doesn't drink or gamble, uh, you're going to be a little bit bored there. But, I mean, at least the people watching is top-notch, grade A. Uh, I can only imagine. And from the way the prices spiked on these flights from the, the moment the schedule came out in May till now, I'm, I'm thinking half the state of Minnesota, if not more, maybe there now or on its way there starting tomorrow morning on my 9 a.m. flight. Absolutely. I mean, even today on my flight, I would say it was 90% people who were dressed in purple in some way. And uh, I'm guessing that the, the entire stadium is going to be filled up, which is uh, kind of a routine thing now in the NFL, where you go to an opposing city, even the New Orleans Saints last week, I saw their general manager was talking about how like the Detroit Lions fans had all come to New Orleans. So it's a pretty common thing. But here it's really extreme. Like this is going to feel like U.S. Bank Stadium. And I, I don't think that other than 2019 uh, in uh, Los Angeles was probably the only other time where I felt like I was on the road and yet going to a home game. So how are well, we feeling yeah. about – sorry, go ahead. Well, it's funny you bring that up because that Los Angeles Chargers game – um, well, no, I'm sorry. I went to the one in 2021. So, you know, for those that don't know, it's a bunch of guys from St. Paul, uh, you know, working professionals, uh, military veterans, dads without wives. Every year they pick a, a road game to go to a Vikings road game. Last year it was Washington. We tied it in with Veterans Day two years ago was SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles uh, against the Chargers. And you're right, that that building was 70 percent Vikings fans and 30 percent disaffected folks from San Diego who still cling to the Chargers. I'm guessing, and I have no data points to prove this, Las Vegas must be similar with the Raiders. I'm sure there's a diehard sect of uh, black hole refugees that are drifting in from Oakland, uh, maybe even Los Angeles from their 15 minutes they spent in LA 30 years ago. But I'm guessing mostly that this is every home game for the Raiders in that stadium is a melting pot of NFL fans, uh, mostly traveling to get out of the cold or their boring lives to come to the, you know, the, the height of sin and the height of gambling and drinking and checking out uh, to come and see their team play. So I I'm interested in seeing what the vibe is like there. My guess is it's going to be much more than a neutral site game. You're right. It's probably going to be, you know, look, a warm weather destination in early December. Um, we were eyeballing this, like all the leaked schedules that came out drip, drip, drip that day in May. I think it was May 10th. I became a hero to these guys because I actually took a snapshot of one and said, Hey, look, let's book now. We can always cancel tomorrow if it's wrong. I'm pretty sure this is a reliable source. And I think the flights went from about 350 to 1200 in a span of 36 hours. So, uh, I appreciate uh, the fact that these guys at least entrusted me to give them a little bit of intel, but this is definitely their roadshow. They've been doing this for 15 years, and this might be uh, the most unhinged weekend we have, and I'm not sure what that means for me or the coverage, but uh, we'll keep you posted. Well, uh, normally, and speaking of that, U.S. Bank Stadium is loud, but I would not say raucous. Like, I think when you think of those buildings, we know – where we're going to start that conversation, Philadelphia, but around the league, you'll see viral videos of fans fighting and so forth. And 
there aren't too many examples that of U.S. Bank Stadium, and even the tailgating outside of U.S. Bank Stadium is generally like very calm, very normal. Uh, as you know, I come from Buffalo, and let me tell you, calm and normal is not what's happening in those parking lots before the games. And I, I think it actually might be a little bit different of a Vikings fan atmosphere because I'm just going to guess that people came to party. And so it's it, like that's a wild locally, guess, but I think you're right. Right. <laughs> Shocker. Right. But the game doesn't start till one o'clock. So everybody can go out the night before and then start early and show up. And it might actually have a little more raucous of a feel to this stadium than it does for U.S. Bank Stadium. I'm very interested to see that. Uh, you mentioned the flights. The person that I was flying out next to mentioned that uh, he had paid over a thousand dollars a ticket to fly out because it's just such a such a hot ticket to come out here. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and it was you know expensive for me to to work this out as well. Thankfully, to Circa, they provided me with the room and the cabana, so I'm doing okay. Yep, I'm doing okay. There's going to be a little bit of humble bragging here. I know you're on your way out, but um, I, but also I, I had a chance to talk with some people who are from Vegas just throughout the day. And one of the things I said about the Raiders is that when you look at the hockey team, you look at the WNBA team, both of them have won. And so that has actually created this sort of galvanizing factor with the fans. So the Las Vegas aces, they got a huge fan base. They had big parades. People came from outside of just, you know, the Vegas strip type of area or where Circa is, which is off the strip Fremont street, but that's all people usually coming in to visit as opposed to the locals that are out in like Henderson, for example, which isn't too far away from here. And there is an audience for this team, for this Raiders team. And I fully believe that if they won games and were an exciting team and everybody wanted to see them, that it wouldn't be so easy for Vikings fans to get a ha handle of all of those tickets. I mean, you still have lots of people flying out for the game, but I don't think it would be every season ticket holder, or every empty seat going to somebody in purple. It's really that the, the Vikings are facing off with a team that has just struggled so much since they moved to Las Vegas. And now we're in a position where we're talking about if the Vikings don't come here and win, that it's going to be a pretty major disappointment. And it should be, they should be measured uh, against that standard. I would agree. I mean, uh, you know, they had a coaching change. They've had a lot of turmoil. They're a middling team. Uh, their quarterback play has been suspect at best. Um, that probably sounds a little bit familiar to Vikings fans the last couple of weeks. Uh, there's there's always a lot at stake week to week, but there's a ton at stake here because obviously the Vikings are six and six. You know, Kevin O'Connell said we're going to stick with Josh Dobbs. So there's a lot at stake for Josh Dobbs to prove that he that Bears game was an aberration, if not, uh, you know, if not a harbinger of what his ceiling really is. So it'll be curious to see what he can do, what the what kind of protections they're going to be able to give him to give him some options to get out of the pocket, what kind of. Uh, what's he going to, what kind of chemistry, if any, is he going to develop with Justin Jefferson, you know, who's now back in the lineup for the first time in two months, but yeah, whatever uh, house money as it were that they squandered uh, over that five game winning streak with the last two weeks, uh, they really have to arrest this right now because now the green Bay Packers, their division rivals, of course, are right on their heels now. And as long as they had been hanging on to that final wild card spot, it's come, become much more tenuous coming out of the, coming out of the bye. And it, I think, you know, gives them a chance to get a little bit of a reset. They're definitely healthier. Um, this is a winnable game. As we said, obviously the bears game at home was of course a winnable game, but this is a much uh, more important game than that one now, because you're running out of time. And if you fall below 500, 
it's easy for this to slip out of control. So it's always the, the most important game until the next one, but this is their most pivotal game of the season. Yeah, I mean, once you get to the point where players are saying, well, you know, we got like a five-game playoff to get into the playoffs, it's like, oh, uh, then you've reached a, a challenging part of the season. I, I want to ask uh, just from your perspective about them picking Josh Jobs to go forward here with at least for this week, but also with the threat that, hey, you still could be benched. Um, it seems like it was such an obvious decision because – there really isn't anyone to turn to. So it's not like you're saying, hey, well, we've got two quarterbacks that are about equal and we'll move on to the other one. It's not Tommy Kramer and Wade Wilson here. I mean, this is two quarterbacks who are journeymen. They've played for a lot of different teams. They have not a lot of wins, not a high winning percentage between them for their careers. And one guy has actually shown you something. The other guy hasn't started since 2021 and hasn't started any significant period of games since 2020 in which he did not play very well and then you have jaron hall and there are always going to be people who want to see the you know the rookie the guy who hasn't played before because they think well maybe something is there and i would say like yeah it's possible that something's there but asking him to put all these people's seasons on his back i think is just a lot to ask for jaron hall i've i've been in that spot i never believed that kevin o'connell was actually going to bench him is there is there any other way to look at this though like am i am i missing something when it comes to this kevin o'connell decision that i should be factoring in when it comes to you know putting josh jobs back in well i think he wanted to i i think it was important for for him and Phillips as well to just sort of have a week where they're not game planning and they're not triaging and they're not uh, looking to, they're not under the gun for another opponent. I mean, as much as the late season by might not have been ideal in the bigger picture, in the smaller picture, I thought it was an act, actually a really well-timed by considering where, where they're at with the, the recent two game losing streak, but also just because it allowed Dobbs to take a breath he hadn't been able to take a breath since arriving on Halloween. It allowed O'Connell uh, to take a step back, assess a small sample size and a body of work uh, within the system that they could use to say, okay, we can build out here. We can maybe help him there. We can challenge him to do better over here. But I, you know, you mentioned the three options. I mean, none of them were ideal. None of them are ideal. I mean, if anything, Dobbs, uh, gives you a couple of dynamics that, you know, maybe Hall was showing a little bit with his legs. But, I mean, I think, you know, Dobbs has obviously the the breadth of experience. It's not much. It's kind of splintered across a lot of organizations. But you also have that that kind of, um, I don't want to say mystique, but also the, the his, his ability to improvise and his ability to, especially in the New Orleans game and the Atlanta game, to really just make things out of whole cloth with his legs, with his arm, um, that gives you a dynamic and a threat that if things do break down, he may be able to bail you out. It's not reliable. I mean, the Bears found a way to defend him. You know the Raiders are going to copycat that as best that they can. But I also think that, you know, Dobbs, I, and I don't think this is something to, to lessen either, and, and you look, you're out there every day, I'm not. But I get the impression that he's won the locker room. He won the locker room on, on day one. He won the locker room in Atlanta when he didn't know half of his teammates' names. So that carries a lot of weight. And I think if O'Connell had pivoted either back to Hall, back to a rookie or back to, you know, Mullins, it would have just sort of, I think there would have been a little bit of a jolt in the locker room that might not have been, it might've been counterproductive. 
Uh, I think there's a, there's a gal, the team is galvanized around Dobbs. The team is rallying for Dobbs. The team wants to win for Dobbs. And then on the broader picture, I mean, the market wants Dobbs to succeed. And this may all be wishful thinking. In fact, a lot of it is. But if you're if you're picking from three very unappealing options, the one I think that gives you the most um, dynamic and also possibility, and then also the one that has, you know, it, it, the band of brothers aspect to it, I think Dobbs is your best option. If he blows up again Sunday, it may time it may be time to blow up the season and take a look at what you actually have in all. So. It is sort of he's on notice. I'm sure he doesn't need to be told he's on notice. Um, but I think this is the best of three mediocre bad options. Yeah. I, and with Josh Dobbs, I guess what I want is to leave the door open that it looks a lot better. I mean, because I think that the range of outcomes, if we start doing a pie chart on what's possible here, like, is it, you know, 25% chance it totally blows up? 25% chance it's just sort of meant 25% chance. It's like pretty darn good. And then 25% chance we're like, oh yeah, actually, no, this guy is better than we thought. Because I mean, if you go back to the new Orleans game, I don't think we can erase that from the sample size either. I mean, this guy played extremely well. He made a lot of really good throws. He was playing on time as Kevin O'Connell has talked about a lot. And it, he has formed some relationship with his wide receivers, including and especially TJ Hawkinson. And he hit him in that second quarter like 10 times uh, in that New Orleans game to lead them to more points and a half that they had scored at any other point. And it was their best two game back to back in terms of offensive production in Atlanta when they cleared 30 points. And then against New Orleans, we can't just say like, oh, well, he had a bad game. So he just is not capable of anything now. And it's hard to put your finger on how much the playmaking can carry on, though, because there were a lot of plays that were this close to also being blown up by, a, you know, a defensive end who slides off his back in Denver, but instead, you know, might have crushed him I mean, then caused a fumble or something. So I think that there's just this really wide range of outcomes with Dobbs. And, and, and one of them is sort of a pot at the end of the rainbow where you get there and go at the end of the season, you know what? Like we could probably get back to the playoffs with this guy and draft a quarterback and he's high character and high intelligence. And he'd be a guy that we'd like to pair with a rookie quarterback, but it's also possible that Nick Mullins is starting in Cincinnati. I mean, I don't remember too many times over the last how many years, Murph? I mean, when is the last time where we felt that the range of outcomes was such a big gap? And a lot of it really hinges on this game, because if it's terrible, then Kevin O'Connell's going to pull him. And if it's really good, then you're going to feel like, OK, wait a minute. Everybody's hyping up those Packers, but this team is still pretty good. Right. And I think the two thing, one thing we haven't even talked, we mentioned Jefferson, of course, I mean, eight weeks out of the lineup. Uh, what is his chemistry going to be with? What options is he going to give Dobbs? But more importantly, what's he going to do to coverages? You know, what's he going to end up doing that that frees up uh, Jordan Addison, maybe more of Hawkinson, who, by the way, had an extra week to rest those ribs. He has taken a severe beating that I think may have gone under the radar a bit because he has been so active, but he has been pounded this year. Uh, you know, he was able to heal up a little bit more. And, you know, K.J. Osborne, now you have – so now you have more of the three-receiver dynamic threat 
that keeps defenses guessing and challenges them on what kind of schemes to play, what kind of pressure to bring. Because it was obvious the Bears said, look, we're not going to let him get outside with his legs. We're, we're going to challenge him to beat us one-on-one in coverage, and we're going to send everybody at him. And the Vikings' offensive line was overwhelmed. Dobbs was clearly overwhelmed. I mean, there were deer, he was a deer in the headlights most of the night. But then you go, but that strike he made to Hawkinson that could have been the game winner, I mean, that was right out of the New Orleans script, right? I mean, that was a that was a baller throw after getting, you know, four interceptions. I mean, you know, that that could ruin the, uh, the psyche of anybody, let alone, you know, somebody that's fighting for his NFL life. But he still was able to come up and deliver uh, what could have been the go, what was the go ahead touchdown. It could have been the winner. But what we haven't talked about is the reason he had that opportunity to hit Hawkinson is because of what the defense had been doing. And the defense, I think, has been as much, if not more, important to the resurgence from 0-3 and 1-4 and for the Vikings as all of the quarterback intrigue because they have obviously rallied toward Brian Flores. They have obviously, and it seems obvious he's a he's a lame duck defensive coordinator at this point with the, the job he's done to lift that bottom feeding unit up into an impactful unit. And with his pedigree, he's probably out the door. So they need to take advantage of the fact that they may have five, if not a couple more games with him. But I've been most impressed with how, you know, how well they played despite being on the field for so long against the Bears. They did back off, and I think Flores has probably been kicking himself for the last 10 days over that last drive against Chicago and how it opened up on third and 10 for fields to put that ball down the field for their game-winning field goal. It just feels like, though, that there's a there's a there's a pride in that unit and there there's a ferociousness in that unit that has been able throughout the season, not in the last couple of games at, at key moments at the end where they have opened up and, and I wouldn't say collapsed, but allowed Russell Wilson and Fields uh, to throw some to really dagger them at the end. But what I, I, I truly believe that the Vikings are only going to go as far as their defense carries them. That's the old cliche, right? Uh, you know, Dobbs at best, if he can if he can manage the game, get some first downs, not make mistakes, make some things happen with the with the run. I mean, I don't I don't feel horrible if they're giving up, you know, if they're giving up or only scoring 16 to 20 points a game. I feel like they can have success because of what this defense has shown. So I'm going to be paying attention as much to what how the de- defense responds Sunday as much as the all this intrigue about what Dobbs can do. Folks, is there any better way to spend the holidays than attending sports? Knowing you guys, I'm guessing the answer is no. Well, there is a way to get to all of the events that you want to get to during the holiday season with affordable tickets. My friends, you are going to want to check out the Game Time app. It's the fast and easy way to buy tickets to everything sports and also much, much more shows, concerts, all on game time. One of the cool parts about game time is that they have flash deals on last minute tickets and a low price guarantee, which means if you find something lower in the section or row, they will credit you 110%. You also get images of your seat location, which I love because those maps can be a little confusing Buy tickets in seconds, have them arrive right to your phone It's great. Download the GameTime app, create an account, use the code INSIDER for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code INSIDER for $20 off your first purchase. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed.
And there's always been kind of a line of demarcation in the NFL. Like if you can keep teams to below 21 points, you have a really great chance to win. And they've only given up more than 21 points since Kansas City in the Atlanta game, which was, of course, fueled by a bunch of turnovers. Uh, well, a safety, right? And then also a fumble uh, in their own zone. But they still had a pretty good performance that day against Atlanta, even if it required a, a, a last game drive. But beside that, uh, they have kept opposing teams under 21 points week after week after week, which, of course, makes you wonder, all right, like, is that too much to put on their shoulders week after week? But coming out of the bye, I think it does give you a little more confidence. And also, it's been such a long time since we felt like, hey, this defense is going into a game. They're, they're going to hold the opposing team. I, I would say that it's probably been since 2019 where you go into a game when the other team is bringing a bad quarterback and you're like, all right, but we're going to make this guy look silly, right? I mean, because you go back over the last few years, you got Cooper Rush beating them. You got, you know, Andy last Dalton. year. Yeah, and last year, Mike White brings it down to the to the final last second uh, and has a great comeback in the second half of that game. And Daniel Jones, of course, earned himself a lot of money simply by playing against the Minnesota Vikings two times at the end of the last season. And uh, now, all of a sudden, when you see the name Aiden O'Connell, you just go like, I don't know. I don't think that this fourth-round rookie has pretty much any chance against this defense. And that's where, when it comes to playing like Jaron Hall or something this is why I think it's important to pick Dobbs. I think that this is a relevant point, which is that side of the football has done so much to keep them in this season and to bounce back from that 0-3, and they were at the center of that week after week. And if you just say, you know what, we're thinking toward the future, guys. We're just going to play the rookie. I mean, what does that say to Brian Flores, to the defense? To like, You have to, I think, put Dobbs in there to at least – give them a chance. And also the more I reviewed the game against Chicago, the more I thought, gosh, there were a lot of opportunities to put up a lot more points in that game. Still, despite as ugly as it looked, you know, there's a deep pass down the sideline where Jordan Addison steps out of bounds instead of catching it. There's a throw over the middle to Addison that hits him. And, and, and he hasn't had any bad games really this year until that one, but that also might have been a little exhaustion on his point because he dealt with some injuries in rookie minicamp. And then all the way through training camp, he's now played more games or as many games as a full college season would be. So hitting the bye might end up being uh, the right time. Now, here's a question about this game in particular. Would you rather this game be against a team like the Raiders where you feel like you can win? Or if I gave you the chance to call Roger Goodell and reorder the schedule with the final five opponents, would you put somebody else here instead? Absolutely not. <laughs> Abs like, you know, you're talking about maybe moving up a Detroit or the Green Bay game. Uh, no, I would not. Uh, no, I, I, I like the fact that they have an opportunity uh, to take on a reeling opponent uh, and and coming out of the bye and, and giving Dobbs that chance to kind of hit the reset button. Uh, I think this is more ideal. You know, it's funny now, Cincinnati doesn't – Cincinnati that Cincinnati game went from, oh, man, they're going to be facing a Super Bowl contender on the road and an MVP candidate in Joe Burrows to, hey, that looks like a an easy pick-me-up to, well, maybe not so. Uh, you know, there could be some more challenges challenges there. So this Raiders game actually feels a little bit more uh, like an opportunity to, to really reset, get your confidence back, get your momentum back. Cincinnati is going to be a little bit more challenging – probably next week. Um, 
were you thinking you want you would want them to be facing a contender to maybe set the table a little bit more, get some more clarity in the race? Um, that makes some sense. Look, there's no avoiding the Lions. I'm not sure they're, you know, they're still not the Eagles. They're still not the 49ers or the Cowboys in terms of intimidation or or, or real like uh, this is going to be an awful, awful moment at Ford Field and U.S. Bank Stadium. But I do feel like that those two games that are the, 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 the Lions still look a bit vulnerable. So I, I don't I, I'm looking now at that Packers game on New Year's Eve. It just feels like that is going to be the game that's going to determine the Vikings fate because it's it's going to be it's going to be insane on a New Year's Eve night. But you're also going to have that game against Detroit out of the way. You're going to have the season finale in Detroit and right in between. You've got the team that's really pursuing you and it really has a lot of momentum right now and a lot of confidence, much more so than they did, obviously, a month ago. I view that game as probably the signature game right now in this five-game stretch, which is why it's so vital for them to take care of business Sunday, figure out how they're going to go after, you know, the somewhat resurgent maybe Bengals, but at least a little bit less free-falling Bengals on the road. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't want to have your toughest opponent coming up this week. I'd want I'd want the um the greatest opportunity to really reset coming up Sunday. So I think it kind of sets up well, the schedule right now for, for the Vikings. Yeah. I, I think that what makes the, the Raiders the right type of opponent is for one, like they played Kansas city tough a couple weeks ago before their bye, So they're not playing like a complete joke recently. Uh, they've had some wins under Antonio Pierce since they decided to fire Josh McDaniels, which was a very good choice for their organization long-term. Uh, and they've been a little scrappy since. So it isn't, uh, it's a bad team, but it's not a team that's so unbelievably bad that you'd be like, okay, well they're playing Carolina. It's a free win. It's not a test at all. Who cares? On that was the, next the bears. <laughs> Well, that was supposed to be, but we tried to warn people, Murph. We tried to warn people, but although Vikings fans don't need to be warned about the Bears, like the Bears always find some ridiculous way to split or, uh, you know, win a game that they shouldn't against the Vikings. Division is a little bit different, but all I mean is it's like the bar is at the exact right place with the Raiders. If you can't beat the Raiders, then I have no belief in you beating anybody else, basically. But if you beat the Raiders and it's in pretty strong fashion and Dobbs looks like he's back, that could be confidence builder to like, hey, wait a minute. We're not we're not a bad team. We're not with our backup quarterback is not falling apart after his little hot run and so forth. Uh, and yet it's not Detroit. So you don't have to pass the big test. It's not Green Bay. So you don't have to pass the big test right away. And it gives, I think, Kevin O'Connell an opportunity to try some different things here with Josh Dobbs and prove what he can do with a quarterback that he actually has to adjust to and have had some time to adjust to him. So I really like the fact that it was, that it worked out this way to come out of the bye and for them to get this opponent, because I think it's sort of right for the moment. And I, I also feel like since O'Connell named Dobbs, the starter, this was something we took for granted, but not all coaches would do this. Uh, some coaches might take it to the final second. That was, a, I think, a really good move. And we've been sort of evaluating how is Kevin O'Connell handling the ups and downs this year? That's been a consistent theme with you and I on the show. And 
to come out and just say, look, it's Dobbs. This is what we're doing. We're going forward to not play any sort of silly games to show some confidence in him and to make it clear like, hey, it was partly on me. It was partly on everybody else who didn't block and didn't catch balls as well. It wasn't just Josh Dobbs. So now everybody get it back together and let's go forward and make the playoffs. I think that they handled that right because there was such a wind out of the sails over the last two weeks. Everybody felt it. Every fan, every player, every person in the media, everybody in that organization felt the wind come out of the sails. And you need a way to get that picked back up. And I think the best way is to say, all right, we're coming out of this with new ideas. We're going to go play a beatable team and then back back on a roll we go. And I have no reason to think that they can't get on a on a roll again. But then the real tests, as you mentioned, are going to come against Detroit and Green Bay. Well, you know, transparency and honesty and treating your audience with respect and as adults, how how novel in the in the National Football League when it comes to that. I mean, he could have played the Belichick game and said they're all getting reps. They're all nobody knows who's going to start and, you know, let the drip, drip, drip go until Sunday morning. Um, I think that shows a confident coach because a confident coach doesn't need to play games like that because you don't think the Raiders are you know going to equally game plan and, and be ready for any option. I don't think you're really going to keep them that much off balance. And they probably have a pretty good sense, like the rest of the public, that it was Dobbs was the leader in the clubhouse going into the bye. Um, I thought he managed it well. I thought the bye, you know, it's it's funny. It allow it allows you to get away from you know for the players and the coaches. It allowed them to obviously uh, dive deeper into into Dobbs, dive deeper into the scheme, dive deeper into what they can do uh, with a little more extra time on their hands to to put him in a better position to succeed. But it also allows your team to stew in it a little bit. I think that 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 might have been healthy. Get away from the facility. Get away from the pressure cooker. Watch, you know, your opponents coming up. See Green Bay now suddenly relevant and coming at you. See how the NFC playoff picture is taking hold. But also realize that this was a missed opportunity. You know, stew a little bit in that failure because it's not like these men need that much more motivation. Um, but it would have been easy to just chalk it up as, you know – the chaos at quarterback, you know, we, it, it, we, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to take any accountability for that. I'm guessing that the, the team came back. Uh, they see that they're six and six. They see that the NFC is still very wide open, certainly on the bottom half. They see what they've been able to do through 12 games. It's a large body of work. And I think there's a lot of pride and a lot of confidence in that room. Not that there isn't in other seasons, but I think they sense an opportunity here. That's pretty unique. And I think they they you know for a team when you start zero and three and one and four, I mean you're staring at a death march. And there's nothing worse in the NFL than a death march because there's no there's little joy in winning, let alone any kind of fulfillment in just trying to get to the to the finish line of an 18 week season. The fact that they were rescued not only after zero and three and one four, but after losing their quarterback to a season ending injury, this is almost like their third rebirth. I mean you had the season opener. You had ending the losing streaks. You had, you know, Dobbs stepping in for, for Cousins. And now you still have an opportunity, despite how poorly you played against Chicago, despite losing an opportunity to win a game, a winnable game in Denver, you still have your fate and your season right out in front of you. And not only is that exciting, but I got to imagine there's, there's, a, there's a sense of we cannot squander this opportunity and we cannot squander another opportunity uh, to make, Josh Dobbs job easier, but also 
take care of things on defense, protect the football. You know, if anything, if these, if the Vikings don't make the playoffs, you know, we're going to chisel all through their tombstone turnovers. And we can get into that in a specific time period, another, you know, at another pod. But I just feel like despite the fact that they have been horrific in the turnover ratio, they are still relevant and they still have opportunity laid out in front of them. And I think this is a veteran enough team to realize that. And I, you know, I, I, they may not win Sunday, but I don't expect them to lose in the fashion they did against Chicago. If they do, then they're rightfully going to get written off. But I think there's a little bit more to this team than that. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, by the way, if you're just joining the live stream, welcome. I'm Matthew Collar here inside Circa Las Vegas. I am in a cabana and the sun has gone down a little. Maybe I can show everybody what it looks. No, is it too bright? Uh, I can kind of show you outside a little bit there, but there's the big giant screen that's just outside of me. Very cool stuff. Uh, so I'm inside this cabana here doing the live broadcast. Murph is back in uh, Minnesota, but will soon be here joining me as well. So I really, really appreciate Circa having me out, uh, give me a place to stay out here to do the show. And I cannot argue it's about 65, 70 degrees right now. And I'm just chilling outside. So it's uh, it's a very, very cool experience. And that's why half of Minnesota is also here uh, in Las Vegas at this point, because it's, it's nice. It's not too bad, but I want, I want to talk about that. I think that this team Murph, if they win this game and they go down the stretch here with a chance to make the playoffs, if they do make the playoffs, will go down as one of the most likable teams that they've had in quite some time, because you could say last year, they won 13 games. They had all those crazy comebacks. And that's absolutely true. The, the thing that would make everyone bitter is the defense was so bad. And so even though you may love Patrick Peterson, I loved covering Patrick Peterson, such a great player and a unique guy, or Zadarius Smith, who's a great player for them. But the collection of defenders was so terrible that any given week, you, you could just lose to Daniel Jones in the playoffs. And I think everybody knew that. And so there was always this sort of conflict about last year's team where even the most hardcore purple glasses type of person knew in their heart, this ain't going to last. Like it's just not going to work. And you get down 33 points to the Indianapolis Colts have to come back against Jeff Saturday. Like it's a very memorable moment, but kind of ridiculous. And you know, like there was, there was really a, um, uh, I think conflicted feeling about last year's team because of that. Whereas this team, once Kirk goes down, there is very much a nothing to lose. And also it's exciting when a lot of young players who you knew nothing about at the start, you know about at the end. And I think that we've gone through that and that includes Dobbs. He's not necessarily young, but we knew nothing about Josh Dobbs at the start of the season. He was playing in Arizona and over the final five games, we're going to find out. And if they make the playoffs, he's going to have to play pretty well. And I, this goes for a lot of different things. It goes for Addison. It goes for Hawkinson when we're talking about should he be one of the highest paid tight ends? And at the beginning of the year, you would have said, whoa, man, maybe they made a mistake. Certainly doesn't look like that now when he's at the top of the league in targets and receptions and was really dominant during that time that Dobbs was out. A lot of people had to learn about themselves and the team got to learn about a lot of people along the way. And the fact that they've been able to overcome stuff, if they can do it again, even if they don't go deep in the playoffs, which I wouldn't expect, you do have, I think, a, a different feeling about this where it feels like for the first time it's on the upswing 
and it hasn't felt that way since since when? I I, I mean, must have been 2017. Like it, it's just been a long time since you felt like this was a team that's growing and heading upward. That will be the feeling if they make the playoffs. If they don't, well, we'll have to talk then. Yeah, and I think there's a lot. There's so much looming in the offseason, both at the quarterback position and you know the that veteran defense. There's there are some guys here that obviously are be are be playing their last game. So, but it's rare that you get in in the middle of a season. You have, as I was kind of alluding to, you know, you don't have op- opportunities for redemption usually more than once in the in the middle of a season or, or during a long season. And it feels like the Vikings have had several iterations of that. And again, they're building up scar tissue. So is their head coach. You know, so much went right for them last year. So much was entertaining last year. I think it glossed over, um, you know, a lot of growing pains that any NFL head coach is going to have to endure. Uh, young players are going to have to endure. And I feel like the that O'Connell has managed himself in two very distinct seasons with circumstances a lot of head coaches don't deal with in five to ten years, let alone two which is harnessing all of that positive energy from last year, dealing with an incredibly disappointing home playoff loss, and then coming back and falling down 0-3, 1-4, losing your starting quarterback, losing your star receiver for half half of the season while you're patching together your quarterback. You bring in a new a defensive coordinator, acknowledging your mistake with that Donatel, and you get an, he's getting a chance to, to redeem himself He's also shown ways, you know, he's shown patience, but he's, you can tell the guys are playing for him. You can tell the locker room is galvanized, not only around their quarterback, but around their head coach. And there just seems to be something growing here. It doesn't guarantee any level of success, but you can sense the stability and you can sense the confidence, which could all blow up Sunday if they end up six and seven. I just feel like this team is probably destined for nine and eight at this point. I think they're going to be relevant until the end. And you're going to see some things come into play, come into place that's going to dictate what they're going to do with that quarterback position, how much they're going to end up paying Jefferson, what Jefferson's attitude is going to be about staying here long term based on what he can do with Dobbs and based on what Kirk Cousins rehab is like and based on what Quazy is going to want to do in the offseason. So it's fun to kind of look at all of those big picture things kind of coming together in this really compressed period now of five games where this club can really define itself. When you look at the Raiders, Murph, I want you to name their roster. No, I'm just kidding, because that's that's kind of difficult uh, if you uh, hadn't looked it up, because they have a few star players that are very notable and a lot of meh across the roster that has left them being the ultimate, I don't even want to say middling, like they, it feels like they would be celebrating middling here and maybe maybe they feel like hey, if we win this one then we can be the team that's the great story because we fight our way back in the playoff race and so forth but what i'm curious about your opinion on is cautionary tales of the raiders because this is a franchise that unless i'm mistaken i don't remember a playoff game for the raiders since rich gannon was their quarterback am i missing one like somebody correct me on that they have not been to the playoffs in a really, really long time. Okay, it was Matt McGloin, right? Like uh, Derek Carr got hurt. They went 12-4 and four the one year. Matt McGloin, but they haven't won a playoff game since Rich Gannon, I think. Uh, and that's, is that right? Uh, I covered the AFC Championship game uh, that they lost in 2001 to Baltimore in Oakland. I was a young guy at the Pioneer Press that back in the day when they got to do that. So I got to see that. They went to the Super Bowl 
uh, in 03 and lost to uh, Tampa. But I can't, you're right. I can't remember anybody beyond Rich Gannon winning a game. You're right. Maybe did Janikowski kick him in one year? I don't recall. I Yeah, I, that's what I'm saying. I don't have a whole lot of playoff memories of them, except for the one game where I believe it was Matt McGloin who started because Derek Carr got hurt when they were 12 and four under, I think it was Jack Del Rio. And aside from that, so what's the cautionary tale though? Because I've got one is especially right after Sean McDermott had his, um, you know, faux pas, so to speak. Um, uh, Jonathan tells me 2002 is their last playoff win. So there you have it. Not, not great. Uh, twice. Oh, that's right. Derek Carr also lost to Cincinnati uh, was the last time as well that Derek Carr had a chance um, but then lost to Cincinnati. Well, I was just going to say that Josh McDaniels and the way that he treated people uh, just uh, versus Kevin O'Connell was not great. Uh, and I think that that's a cautionary tale. But I know you got, I know you got to run. And I, I do. Like, I got to go to a mass, a church mass, which I'll know, tell you I, about on Monday. It's a I, Christmas well, I, mass. I, I lost. I also lost track of time because it's not central time. And, you know, that's how it goes. But uh, do you think the Vikings are going to win? I do. I think they're going to win 21 uh, 16. I don't think it's going to be pretty, but I do think they're going to win. Okay. Well, pray for uh, other things outside of football. It's too trivial to, uh, to do that. So, uh, but thanks Murph. Thanks for doing this. And I'll see you out here tomorrow. Tomorrow. Absolutely. Can't wait. Hopefully I run into everybody at Circa. Take care everyone. All right. Safe, safe travels, Murph. Uh, I will carry on for a few minutes though here because I have nothing else to do. But just chill out here. Let me see. Can we see the can we get a good look at the uh, what's going on outside there? Yeah, that's what it looks like outside. There's pools. There's all sorts of things going on. There's a guy walking by. So uh, it's a cool place. And I'm very glad that Circa would let me come out here. But in talking about cautionary tales for the Vikings, as they as you look at the Raiders and you sort of look across. And if you guys got any questions, by the way, put them in the comment section. I'm happy to answer. I'll probably talk for 15, 20 more minutes about this game and about these two teams. But I think that like with the Vikings, they got a really good version of Kirk cousins over this entire time. He's been here that of all the potential outcomes for Kirk cousins, for how he would play when he came over from Washington, uh, they got a really good version and it still wasn't enough. Uh, but with Derek Carr and then with Jimmy Garoppolo, two quarterbacks that are categorized similarly, probably not as good as Kirk Cousins, but categorized similarly, you see the edge that you teeter on when you have that situation. So with Jimmy Garoppolo, where he comes out, it's not very good and then gets hurt and you're stuck as the Raiders totally lost as a franchise. I don't know if they'll be able to draft a quarterback this year or are they going to stick with Aiden O'Connell or are they going to tank next year? Are they going to spend a bunch of money? Are they going to try to trade for someone? Like what, what can you do? Um, and I think being definitive about that position is important, but also not always hoping that you're just getting the best version of that player. And also understanding that the best version still didn't get you there. I mean, there were years with Derek Carr where he still didn't get the Raiders anywhere in that year that they went to the playoffs, one of his best seasons and again, it still did not get them uh, anywhere. And it feels very Vikings-like in that way, that the Vikings have had a better franchise than the Raiders over the last X number of years since Derek Carr was there. But it's still, what, two playoff appearances 
and it's two playoff appearances for the Vikings. Well, Kirk Cousins was here. And then they try to go the middling quarterback route again, but you're picking up a Jimmy Garoppolo that was coming off, I mean, injuries again. And, you know, this could be something the Vikings try to do. And and I think the Raiders also, after they made the playoffs in kind of a, I don't want to say fraudulent, I don't really like that term, but I'm trying to think of a different way to put it. When they made the playoffs after firing John Gruden, they had this vibe like, oh, the Raiders are finally turning it around. And what ultimately happened was they went back to being themselves. And we've seen some of that so far this year. And it always ends up kind of coming back to like, the quarterback position and how you build your team and also defensive coordinator matters, how you build through the defense matters. And we've just seen the Raiders giving themselves no chance over the years to even work around uh, a quarterback uh, by having a good defense, by having, they had to desperately go out and get Devonte Adams. I would also say that, you know, that's another thing too is picking the right time to make the big move. And maybe that's next off season for the Vikings. Maybe it's not. But picking the right time, they go out and get Devontae Adams to try to build on what they had before, and yet it didn't work at all. And that, and when you're trying to chase what you had in the past, this might be another Kirk Cousins point. When you're trying to chase what you had in the past, a lot of times it can't be recreated in football because things move along pretty darn quickly. And with Kirk Cousins, if you go into next season and try to chase what you had in green Bay and against San Francisco, you may just not end up getting those results. And I guess that's where I'm leaving that door open for Dobbs and I, and why they had to stay with Dobbs is to leave that door open for him to potentially be a part of this going forward and then drafting a quarterback as well. Uh, so I think if you're looking at uh, the uh, cautionary tales of the Raiders, it's if you settle for that middling quarterback, and then hope that you can add this, that, or the other thing to the middle and quarterback, even trying to build on his best moments, oftentimes that doesn't exactly work. So let me get to a couple of your comments here. Uh, TM says, it doesn't matter if Jefferson is back. The difference is going to be protecting the ball. The Vikings would be on a seven-game win streak if it wasn't for turnovers. Uh, no disagreement there. The, the trouble with turnovers is that they're hard to talk about. Because if I tell you that the key is not turning the ball over, well, you could just copy and paste that into all 32 teams every single week. Just like, of course, the key is not turning it over. But where turnovers become especially relevant here is in two ways, like you said. I mean, number one is in Denver, they played vastly better football than the Broncos. They played a good game, almost 400 yards of offense in that game and gave it away. And in Chicago, you're not going to rack up too many yards when you have four interceptions. It does feel like they should have won both of those games. And then it brings you to how random do we think turnovers are when Josh Dobbs is your quarterback? And that's another thing I think we're about to find out. And can you coach a quarterback to not turn the ball over? That's another thing. Is it quick game? Is it I don't know what, like earlier this year, they're hitting guys with pool toys in practice to try to get them not to fumble. Like, is there actually any possible way to coach out of Josh Dobbs, something that has been a part of his game? And look, even when you go back to the game that Josh Dobbs is most notable for in the NFL before he joined the Vikings was when he came in and played 
for the Tennessee Titans against Jacksonville at the end of the year. And if I'm not mistaken, there was a strip sack that turned into a touchdown that lost that game and the Titans didn't make the playoffs. This has been a part of who Josh Dobbs is. And I don't know if there's any answer to mitigate it except for just hoping <laughs> like, and that's not a very good topic for a podcast, but like, that's really the truth. Like what you're saying is absolutely right. They should be on a seven game win streak. Uh, if not for these last two games, giving them away. And so do you feel better about it because you feel like they gave it away instead of it was taken away? Or do you feel like you have less control over it because it might all come down to whether they turn the ball over? Uh, Christian asks, what's your over under for Viking sacks? I guess uh, maybe we should have done that. Maybe that was, should have been good. Vegas content was going all uh, over unders or something for today. That's a good question. I mean, Aiden O'Connell is not that bad, is he? No, I think he actually might be uh, at taking sacks. Um, no, I don't think he's that bad, is he? I'm going to have to check how bad uh, Aiden O'Connell is when it comes to taking sacks because I know it, I, that Jordan Love and because um, I was thinking about this for – all right, I'm looking this up. I was thinking about this for uh, Daniil Hunter, whether he could get to 20. No, he's not that bad. Aiden O'Connell's getting sacked on 6.8% of his dropbacks. It's that's not great, but it's not like 13% or something where you'd expect it. Um, can Daniil Hunter get to 20 sacks is something that I was thinking about because you have five games to get to six and a half, and that is possible, but Goff doesn't get sacked that much, and Jordan Love doesn't get sacked that much. Those might be a little bit harder. I think that I'd say two and a half would be the over-under. I don't think that... This is a defense that just racks up a crazy amount of sacks. It's basically just one guy. And uh, to your question, Christian, your follow-up, is it going to be a DJ Wanham game? Well, that is where it seems like Wanham gets a lot of these like untouched sacks. Uh, we'll call them schematic sacks from Brian Flores. And th that we could see. That we could see is Aiden O'Connell just not being able to identify what Brian Flores is bringing and having problems in getting sacks. Uh, he does seem to try to get the ball out of his hands, which you know may help his case a little bit if he's forcing it to Devontae Adams, but there's nothing really in his numbers that makes you think, oh, well, he's going to be able to pick them apart or whatever. It This game is entirely, as an offense, are you scoring? Because as, if you're scoring as an offense, you're winning this game. And if you don't, more up in the air. Uh, Billy says, what's the best cornerback co uh, combination? Oh, that's a good question. Blackman and Murphy or Evans and Murphy? Uh, yeah, so with uh, Caleb Evans and Makai Blackman, they're a little bit different stylistically. Like uh, Caleb Evans is so big and so lanky and so tall and is a really good athlete on top of that, where Blackman is a little more undersized. So it may depend on the matchup. Maybe you could even argue the best combination might be Evans and Makai Blackman based on how they've played. Now, I mean, Murphy does not have good numbers by like PFF, but I haven't felt like he's gotten destroyed or that teams have been picking on him over and over. They certainly did in that Chargers game and he got mossed in the Saints game. But I, I, I don't I don't think that um, there's any of these combinations that are bad. It's probably just how are you matching up? So would you rather have a Caleb Evans matching up as a physical corner against Devontae Adams 
Or, you know, would you rather have Makai Blackman out there more often? I've, I have been really impressed, though, with Makai Blackman. And as we look at going forward, you've got nothing but young secondary players here outside of Harrison Smith. And Blackman hitting as a draft pick so far uh, is a big boost for them for now and later. But you feel like you actually have depth because Evans went out and they were able to survive it as opposed to going to like Chris Jones in the past, the not the defensive tackle. I'm sure you guys blocked that out, right? 2020, the Chris Jones attempted tackle on Tony Pollard. Probably. Um, let's see. Go get him says, how many good games would it take to move forward with Dobbs next year? I love that question. And I'm going to think about it for a second. How many good games is it going to be? I mean, the answer obviously has to be more than two. Does it have to be five? Could it be four? I, because I, I'm not sure that three gets it done if two of them are terrible. <laughs> which they could be right based on what we've seen so far. I, I want to say four out of five. I think if he were, if, if the total of Josh Dobbs in Minnesota was eight games and in six of them, he gave them a chance to win. I'm, I'm counting Denver. I think he gave them a chance to win in Denver. Then you would project that out and say, if he gives us a chance in 12 games next year or so 12 or 13 games, doesn't mean you're going to win them all, but just gives you a chance that, that's somebody that you can take into next year. If it's two, it's probably not enough. If it's three, it leaves you on the borderline. If it's four, you're probably convinced. I mean, is this funny? Like we have to deal with small sample sizes in massive decisions all the time. And that's like when they draft quarterbacks and you watch them at the senior bowl and you know, maybe he's got a year of starting that's good. And you take your shot and see what happens. It's kind of like that with Josh Dobbs. Like the sample is so small, even of him playing in Arizona, that five games is like 40% of his career that's upcoming ahead of us, assuming that he actually gets to that many games. Uh, what about Bob says, uh, does Chandler get the start? He should. So as far as who actually starts, my guess would be it's Alexander Madison. But I, I would, I think of it this way. The way that Madison has played the last two weeks, put aside the fumble, he's run the ball pretty well. He's run pretty violently. And maybe here's a little footsteps from Ty Chandler. I don't know. But he's run pretty well. If he had run the way he has the last two weeks all season long, they'd have a good running game. Uh, if Madison is in the game and it's not going the way that it did against Chicago, which they should have stuck with it even more because he was running effectively, then uh, you'll see more Ty Chandler. It might just be who's playing better at the time. Madison was playing better against Chicago. Well, go for it. Uh, and Madison knows the offense better. He's a veteran. They trust him more. That's very clear. Chandler has much better ability to create big explosive plays. It may end up at the end of the season from here on out being 50-50 between those two. I agree with you, though. I would much rather see more Ty Chandler than Alexander Madison. I think it comes down to how much of the game plan can you really put on Ty Chandler? And this might be a guy that next year we talk about being a starting running back for them or you know playing a heck of a lot more because of the experience he's gotten. There's clearly something that's missing from them doing that because it's not physical skill. Ty Chandler, without a doubt, has uh, physical skill. Uh, Todd, I think you're making fun of me saying the wonderful views of Las Vegas. Um, and that's because of the sun. You can't really see what's outside here at uh, Circa, but trust me, it is beautiful. Uh, I tried to include a little bit of the sun, enough of it. 
Uh, what about Bob S? Uh, is uh, Wright's job at punter on the line? I think so. I think so. Now, if they lose, then you just carry out the season. But if they were to win and he punted badly, like he has for most of the season, then you have to maybe think about it. But I don't know. Are there a lot of maybe there are a lot of punters available toward the end of the season? In my mind, it's more of punting yourself out of a job for next year. Everything has gone down the inside the 20 percentage, the touchback percentage, the net yards per punt. Uh, the number of times that they're just being shanked. Uh, we haven't seen too many like bomb punts like we did last year. And I don't know if that's a confidence thing or if it was small sample from last year that our first impression of him is, wow, what a bomb punter. And then he wasn't really that great to begin with, but their numbers were pretty good in the punting game. I, I would say, yes, it is on the line. Uh, Christian asks, is JJ going for a hundred yards and a touchdown? The touchdown part has always been a little tricky because he is, you know, the red zone in general, and he gets so much attention in the red zone, but a hundred yards, he should, I mean, he should, they've been waiting all this time to get him back. Like it's time uh, for Justin Jefferson. And that's where there is the potential, I think for this thing to still go the way that we thought it was going to go after they beat new Orleans, which was, they're going to go down the stretch, win enough games to get in the playoffs. And then, you know, we'll see what happens and who they match up against and so forth. But Jefferson's value, Jefferson's role is just so important in this thing that I, I don't think you can underrate uh, just just how important that really is. So, yeah, I, I would say if you're asking me, I would go more than 100 yards. Uh, Todd says, why is Lewis seen not active most game days? The same reason that Lewis seen has never really caught on here is there is a lack of trust in him playing on the defense. And I don't know if that's not understanding it, not being able to execute it. If there's something physical that they are concerned about, but the same thing even goes for special teams. And yeah, you followed up by saying he should be able to play special teams, but then if you take him, then you have to pull somebody else off the roster that you might actually want to use like Theo Jackson, who they clearly like better now, the Lewis scene, I mean, this is beyond the level of even Laquan Treadwell bust. Laquan Treadwell even had a couple moments. You probably don't remember them, but they exist. I promise they happened. He had a long touchdown against Seattle. He had, uh, you know, a, a touchdown catch against Green Bay, I think, in 2018. So there were actually Laquan Treadwell moments. There are no Lewis scene moments so far. And one thing that I don't know is if Lewis scenes injury continued to play a role, but I would not think so just because of the fact that he came back and practiced through mini camp OTAs, all that stuff and all through training camp. And they just don't trust him. And it might be his own attitude, which was sort of hinted at a couple of times. And I'll just say this as well. The NFL is not for everybody. I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? The NFL is just not for everyone. And sometimes you draft a guy who's a big star when it comes to college and it's easy for them because they're a great athlete and it's a good environment and everything works out. It's great defense like Georgia and the NFL is much more of a business and you have to take a business-like approach, meaning you have to spend all sorts of time outside of the facility and then everything works so fast and everything is so violent. Like think about, think about this. I mean, Jordan Hicks just had his leg hit so hard. He got compartment syndrome 
and could have lost his leg playing football. And he's going to play again. I mean, it, it takes a, a special type of person to be able to do this. He's had both Achilles repaired, and now he's got a 12-inch scar on his leg. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to be back. I mean, it's just not for everybody. Like, I, I don't know Lewis Seen well enough to be able to pinpoint exactly what it is. But there's just a bar that is so high to reach that not everybody gets there. And it's really hard to predict in the draft. Really, really hard to predict. Um, let's see. Yeah, Todd, Todd says it's it's crazy that they completely misevaluated him this bad. That is true. And also, a lot of other people did too. I mean, that's the weird thing about Lewis Seen. But think of all the players on this team that were misevaluated. And, you know, Go Get Him asks, what makes a good GM? Is it mainly the draft? No, no, it's not. Not at all. Because... I mean, it's now it's how you manage the draft, manage your draft capital, manage your positional uh, draft picks. But the draft is mostly random. I mean, it's always been proved that it's mostly random. Lewis seen was the MVP, if I'm not mistaken, of the championship game in college football, right? Or defensive MVP. He played great. He, he, he runs under four, four 40 and is six foot three or six foot two. He's huge. I mean, I don't know. He played for the best college. He's enormous. He's super athletic. And everybody had him as a first or second round draft pick. It's not like they drafted, you know, somebody from Ball State who was a fourth round projected pick. I mean, sorry, Ball State. But they sometimes guys just don't work out. I look at it as draft overall broad strategy is important for a GM. But in my mind, it's much more execution of the vision and understanding the moment. Uh, so if you are just a good example, we we're talking about the Raiders, the Raiders won, I think it was nine games, got in the playoffs with their special teams coach coaching the team. And they thought, all right, our big chance to build on this is to go get Devonte Adams and trade the farm for him. And Devonte Adams wanted to be here. He's a hard guy to turn down, but that's an older receiver who takes a gazillion dollars to put on a team that had no chance to win. That's not really understanding the moment. That's desperately flailing at something. Whereas what the Vikings did this offseason in the, the bigger picture said much more to me. They drafted good positions, wide receiver, cornerback, two hard positions to get, very valuable, uh, cost a lot in free agency and so forth. So they, they draft the right positions. That matters to me in the overall approach, which in 2022 was not good, but uh, last year it was. But more of the the bigger picture of where are we in our timeline to win and how do we act around that so if the vikings didn't believe that bringing back adam thielen and eric hendricks and delvin cook was going to make them a real contender for the super bowl it was better to move on even as weird as that may have looked to the outside world and i remember uh, a major uh, analyst who is on tv accusing the vikings of tanking when they got rid of Delvin Cook, like, no, it's reading the room. It's understanding the moment. It's being able to project forward based on the information you have uh, to, to make decisions. So I think the Vikings, from a, a logical perspective, have done a lot of really good things. But, man, you want to talk about misevaluations. Ivan Pace, I mean, I, I, the whole league misevaluated Ivan Pace. The whole, you know, the whole league, a lot of the league misevaluated Jordan Addison. 
they would have expected Jordan Addison to be a middling type receiver. Well, he and Zay Flowers and Tank Dell, these are all really good receivers that are worth a lot more than some of the players that the NFL uh, picked before. And you can follow down rabbit holes that are crazy when it comes to just draft luck in general, who gets lucky, who doesn't. I mean, the, the people who drafted uh, Peyton Manning instead of Ryan Leaf get to be geniuses and the people who drafted Ryan Leaf get to be idiots like that's that's football. So it's it's not drafting. But uh, anyway, anyway, I mean, it's draft it's draft logic, but it's not draft luck for evaluating a GM. But yeah, I mean, that's that's why every time Lewis scene comes up, I just shrug my shoulders. I don't know. These things happen. These th- it's just that's how it is. But somebody misevaluated last year, Josh Metellus and Josh Metellus is now the star player that we thought that Lewis scene was going to be. Uh, this is funny. Uh, what about Bob says, does Kevin O'Connell have a dark side? Sorry, my f- son got a hold of my phone. I don't think so. I think what I actually think what you see is what you get from Kevin O'Connell. That's what I think uh, that he talks a lot and that he's good at communicating with people. And, uh, you know, but I also think that he wants to make clear that he's not. What is it? There used to be a hockey GM that used to use a term wilting violet. Is that a term? Like he would say that about European players that people thought were soft. He'd say, Hey, he's not a wilting violet. I think that's it. Uh, I, I think he's also made clear that that's not the case either. So no, I, I don't think that I don't think there's a dark side uh, at all. Uh, Phil says uh, we need to remember cap space age and salary issues. Uh, these guys, of these guys uh, inherited. Oh yeah. Oh, you're talking about the, the front office. Yes, for sure. They basically flipped it in a year and the secondary was very depleted. Oh, the secondary was terrible. The secondary was in a very bad spot when they took over. I mean, look what we're talking about. Like they last year, how much better are they if they don't play Cam Dantzler in any games? Probably a lot. Like Cam Dantzler never got it down defensively. So the way that they've been able to end through the draft, rebuild the secondary, it wasn't the guys we thought it was going to be, but it was still through the draft. And sometimes people have misinterpreted when I will say on the show, like I don't give a hoot where guys are drafted, just that you found them. Um, but that's really that's really the case. Like, I, of course, that doesn't mean I don't care that you didn't hit on first round draft picks. It just means that enough darts need to be thrown and enough opportunities need to be given in order to get players like Josh Metellus to emerge. So Metellus wasn't even their draft pick, but they're the ones who saw a role for him and got him into a spot where he could become a star player. Like that matters to me much more than was he a sixth round pick? Was he a first round pick and so forth? But uh, certainly you can go back and, and criticize a lot of people's, uh, you know, different, different drafts. Uh, let's see if we draft a defensive tackle in the first, would you call the draft a failure? Uh, there's a long time until the draft. So there's a lot that that's going to depend on. I try to, uh, stay. What did Kirk Cousins say? I stay where my feet are, at least when it comes to the draft. Like let's, let's let it play out to what we know by then. Cause we're going to know where they stand with a quarterback. And if they need a quarterback and draft, a defensive tackle, then yeah, it won't be good. But if they've already traded for Kyler Murray and they drafted a defensive tackle, it'd be great. So yeah, I don't know. Um, anyway, well, uh, if there's any more questions, you could throw them out there, but I would say this has been a really fun time got set up, but I mean, now we've got, you know, the sun going down over Las Vegas. I'll try to show you guys again here. If you could see it, 
out there at Stadium Swim. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool out there. Um, so I'm going to go hang out out there for a while. I also got some work to do, and you'll never believe this, but I'm working on a story about fullbacks for uh, purpleinsider.com, so you're going to want to check that out as well. Um, let me answer a couple more questions here. Before we wrap up, uh, let's see. But I do not regret my decision to come out here, and hopefully you guys enjoyed this live stream as well. Uh, what position do you want us to draft or focus on in the coming draft and moving forward? I have, I mean, right now, I, I it's really, it's just so hard to say. It's just so hard to say, like what position they're going to be talking about. Clearly, rush pass rush from the front four. Because if there's one thing you could say that uh, the Vikings do not have that the best teams in the league do have. It's more than one pass rusher. So if you bring back Daniel Hunter, well, that's phenomenal. And nobody likes watching Daniel Hunter play football more than me. But if you bring him back with no help and just say, Hey, Daniel, just be the guy. Like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, that's going to be really hard, right? It's just, it's going to be really hard for Daniel to just carry the pass rush forever. Uh, they're going to need to develop other players. And that's where, you know, using the first rounder uh, on a quarterback is tough because that makes it so you can't draft a, a defensive tackle or something. So they may see it that way. Um, anyway, well, we're a long way from that. We're a long way from that. And I got a game on Sunday. So, uh, but this, this was great. This was great. I can't thank Circa Las Vegas enough for putting me up here. Let me do the show here, uh, bringing me out. And uh, there's going to be a party tonight here uh, as well. So it'll be, it'll be really fun. Um, but thank you all for watching this live stream. I hope it sounded good. I hope it looked good enough here in the cabana. Um, I think they did a great job of setting me up to make sure that we could do it with the internet and everything else. So this was a really fun time. Can't thank them enough and appreciate all of you guys watching slash listening. And we'll catch you next time. I, I don't know. I, we we're sort of up in the air about doing another live stream on Saturday. So if there is, I'll schedule it on the YouTube, but kind of uh, iffy on that, whether that's going to happen or not, but Certainly from inside the press box with Dane Mizutani after the game, you will catch us all there. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much uh, for listening, and we'll catch you all next time.